So this morning, we are continuing on with our series, Regather. This is the season of Epiphany. As we've, uh, as I've mentioned before, Epiphany is the Greek word for realization, for realizing who Jesus is. And the church throughout the world is celebrating the season of Epiphany, gathered around these stories of Jesus to try and remember, to try and come back to who he is, that it would shape who we are. If you remember two weeks ago, we looked through the, the passage where Jesus was baptized, and we saw that not only how humble the, servant, uh, the Son of God is, that he would actually be baptized, but also that he was this great servant king drawing from these Old Testament texts, God speaking them over Jesus, revealing to us who he was, or who he is, excuse me. And then last week, if you remember, we talked some about um, a passage from Matthew chapter 9, that Jesus shows us how. As we talked about, the more we gather around Jesus, I'm realizing this, the more we gather around Jesus, the more urgency I feel in mission. And started wondering, how does Jesus do this? And so we, talk, we watched uh, through our passage uh, last week. It's the first part of our passage in your bulletins. Um, that Jesus went about on mission. He got around. He went to all the towns and villages. He met them on their turf, not expecting them to come to him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he healed. And so this week, we're continuing on with this passage. Uh, we got... For those of you who weren't here last week, we got about we got partway through it and then realized there's uh, too much for for last week, so we're uh, going to cover the rest of it today. As I said before, the more I spend time reading about Jesus, the more I learn about him, the way that he was, the way that he acted with people, the more urgency I feel in sharing his love and sharing the good news of his kingdom with the community around us. The closer I get to Jesus, the further I want to go in mission. If you remember last week, uh, I mentioned that in Nelson, they did a survey similar to ours, and one of the things that came up for them was one of the areas that the church there feels they need the most help was in sharing their faith, that that was one of the hardest things for them. And in my conversations with you over the years, I've heard this from you as well, from some of you saying, you know, that's, that's the hard part. And it's hard because sometimes people are reluctant to hear us. Maybe they've heard something about Christianity or they've seen something on the news that, uh, and they're reluctant, reluctant to even uh, listen. Or maybe they're dismissive. I know that's a common thing growing in our culture, uh, that if you're religious, then you're just not smart or you've just believed crazy things. Or maybe sometimes you're afraid that people might reject us. And there have been friendships that have been strained over the differences in faith. So it's good, it's reasonable to ask, how do I share this good news in Jesus? How do I share this with my friend and keep our relationship? How do I share this with someone and um, do my best to, to not seem crazy, even though we can't really help this? Uh, when Paul, when he spoke to the church in Corinth, he said, the wisdom of God is foolishness to people. That Jesus, Messiah, Savior, dying on a cross, makes no sense to the natural world. It's only through the Holy Spirit that that begins to make sense that this is how God is doing it. This is how God is saving us. So we have some about how do we share our faith with others. As we talked last week, one of the ways is to talk about how we should not share our faith with others, things that are not helpful. And so this week I actually do have this video. Check this out. <laughs> to pick that video apart, all the different offensive and crazy ways 
that not to share faith with others would take us a while. But that still leaves us with the question of how do we share our faith? How do we keep from just walking into a room and and blasting people with things like we don't even care about them? This morning we're going to be reading Matthew uh, chapter 9 again to watch and see how Jesus does it. So if you would open your Bibles to chapter 9, verse 35, or it's in your bulletin as well if you'd like to check it there. Listen to these words again. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. Let's pray that we would hear God's word again this morning. Lord God, we give you thanks for this text. We give you thanks for these words that you spoke, that you taught your disciples, that you are teaching us today. Holy Spirit, help us to learn, help us to hear. We give you thanks for your compassion, Lord Jesus. Help us to be compassionate too. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as I mentioned, last week, uh, Jesus shows us how he went about mission. And this week, we see more importantly, why. Jesus tells us why he went into mission, why he cared so deeply for people. In this this passage, it talks about, uh, he saw that people were like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion for them. It's like a microcosm. This one little verse is like a microcosm of Scripture from creation to the cross. God sees this broken world and has compassion. The, uh, the word behind compassion here is splankna in Greek, but not so interesting the word itself, but the fact the way that it's used. It's only used of the Gospels to describe God's compassion. So this isn't just, man, I sure do feel bad for them. This is divine, God, compassion. Splunk actually gets at your guts. It's like that compassion you feel when your stomach is in knots. That sort of compassion. We've seen people who have uh, compared it, uh, compassion. One of the famous verses or favorite verses that people share Uh, about compassion is John 3.14, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's that kind of compassion. The thing is, this is good news. So often people think of God as an angry police officer in the sky or a grumpy old grandpa, but he is a God who loves and has compassion. And so it becomes so important for us, as his followers, to have compassion for the world around us, to have compassion for our friends and for our neighbors and for strangers. That if we go with disgust, if we talk with them out of condemnation, 
or we preach at them with frustration. That's not good news. But if we speak to them with compassion, genuine compassion, care for them, that becomes very good news indeed. Compassion compelled Jesus. It shaped his ministry. You see, the people that were often, if you think through the Gospels, I can think of numerous stories. The woman who washed his feet, the woman who was caught in adultery, Zacchaeus, Matthew, the tax collector, all these people who were brought to Jesus. And the people around him were waiting for him to condemn them because they were sinful people. And yet Jesus continues to have compassion on them. I think that should shape the way we go out in mission. As we gather around Jesus, the closer we get to him, the further we want to go in mission, but we have to go like he went, with compassion. If we aren't going with compassion, if we're going with judgment or anger or to belittle others, it would be better if we just stayed back and kept our mouth shut. If we can't go with compassion, we shouldn't go. We need to be caring and compassionate. If we're going to meet with people to change them based on what we think they should be like or to correct them or to condemn them or to shame them, none of that is good news. We need to continue to return to Jesus. Watch how he did it so that we are compassionate. When we care about people, when we genuinely care, mission becomes natural. I mean, God has done amazing things in my life, and because I care about people, I want them to have the same things happen to them. The peace, the hope, joy, meaning, purpose. I desire these things for people because I care about them. And I also realize, too, is that when we have compassion on people, we'll be way more fruitful. I was talking with um, <clears throat> a friend of mine this week. Uh, they were over for dinner, and uh, they're not a part of the church yet. And, and he said, you know, Jason, um, we're grateful for you. We've been waiting a long time for someone who cares about people in our community how that speaks to people in our community when we care. And it'd be so tempting, it's so easy for us to get wrapped up in all of our busyness and all of the even good things that we want to do that, and I'm speaking from my own experience, from my own conviction, there are times when I can neglect caring for people. I get so many things that I'm trying to accomplish that I just fly right by people who need help. A friend of mine, another friend of mine, I saw him uh, at the gym and said, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. How are things going? He goes, oh, not really good. But I got to get some stuff. I got to go somewhere. And so I could tell that, that, that he was in a rush. So it wasn't the place, the time to say, well, you know, can I sit down and talk to you for half an hour and see how you're doing? But I did. <clears throat> Later, I texted him and said, hey, uh, I remember you saying that things weren't going so well. Can we get together for lunch? Again, a person who's not a part of our church and said, yeah, here's my times. Let's get together. It is meaningful when we care for people. 
especially in our culture where so many people just fly through life. So if we're going to go, we have to go with compassion. But it's interesting, Jesus had compassion for them because so they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were troubled. Again, you don't have to worry about this, but the Greek words behind this are skolo and pipto. Skolo means um, to be troubled, almost more like to be stripped. Skolo kind of comes from derived when they would, when one army would conquer another, they would take all their armor. You know, if they were, your body was dead, or if you were dead, killed in action, then they would take your shield, your sword, anything that was of value, anything that they could sell or use themselves. So this idea of skolo is like troubled and, and stripped down. Your stuff stolen. Your protection. And then it says the next one is pipto, which means they were cast down, thrown down. Like someone grabbing you by the scruff of the neck and throwing you to the ground. It said people are troubled like this. They are troubled and thrown down. And that's still true today. And we see people in our community who are all sorts of troubled. People who are troubled with their health. No matter if you have everything else together, you still have trouble with your health. Fighting diseases or illnesses. Or even the trouble that just comes with getting older and unable to do things. Money. People in our community are troubled by money. When I talk with Miss Stein, the principal of Redfish, she talks about the kids who come on, on come to the morning, sorry, come to school in the morning, already eating their lunch because they didn't have breakfast. And when I talked with her and I asked her, even for Christmas, are there some families that we as a church could bless? She said, Absolutely. Here, let me give you the names, or not the names, but let me let me uh, connect you with them. There are people in our community who are barely getting by. There are people in our church family who barely get by. People are troubled in our community. People are troubled in their relationships. You don't have to raise your hand or anything here, but how many of you know someone who has trouble in their relationship with their marriage or with their kids or with their parents? People are troubled. And even if you have all those things, even if you have money all sorted out, uh, your health is perfect, your marriage is great, I still know people with that situation who struggle with meaning. What am I here for? Is this really all life is about, is for me to get comfortable and as far ahead as I can? Isn't there more than this? And then there's not to mention the people who live in our community who are troubled with addiction. Addicted to the pornography. Addicted to alcohol. Addicted to drugs. Addicted to work. Addicted to success. The addictions that people in our community are troubled with. The thing is, we see people around us trying all sorts of ways to medicate this addiction. Some through alcohol, drugs, sex, work, anything to try and dull the pain.
Some are even seeking faith. Some maybe had religious upbringing or spiritual sense, and maybe the Holy Spirit is at work, and they're saying, I'm looking for more, and they show up here. Or they ask you, hey, you go to church, right? What, what do you guys do there? Yeah, I'm just something's not right with me, and I'm, I'm looking. Able to have, we are able to have those conversations with them and encourage them. But it begins with compassion. We have to care for people for them to trust us with those sort of questions. So Jesus came with compassion and he cared for people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were troubled. They were stripped down and thrown to the ground. The last two verses, they tell us that Jesus taught us that there was a huge harvest. And that's why he's sending us. He says, begin with prayer. He says, pray for workers. The harvest is huge. And I love this because this is so different. This is Jesus doesn't give us a technique, which is interesting, because I think like, you know, maybe Jesus would give us something more practical, more pragmatic. The harvest is huge, so here are five ways you contribute. Here are five ways you help with the harvest. But he says, no, pray. This is what convicted me last week. This is, I've been already been thinking about having a prayer summit, but this was enough. And not, not only that, but... Uh, Dave Story at our SLT meetings was talking about praying for people. That's what these cards, if you still have them from last week, I'll put them in the bulletin again for next week in case you didn't get one. To write names down and to pray for people. Not only that, to pray for other people in our church who are involved in mission, which hopefully is all of us, that we are praying for each other, that God would be using us and speaking to, uh, to our community, speaking to people through us. I love the word of God. I love how it's packed with all these things. I mean, this, this one passage, four verses, and there's so much in it. We see how Jesus went about mission. We see him tell us why, in my opinion, one of the greatest parts of scripture, because he had compassion on them. He has compassion on us. And then he encourages us. He sends us out and says, pray. Pray for people. Okay. So, we've, in the beginning, we talked some about how do I share my faith? So let's get to the practical part. How do we share our faith and not be pushy like the guy in the video? <laughs> or not be sort of weird? Um, how do we do this? How do we do this well? Well, here's some guides on how we should go. When you go, make sure you're healthy with Jesus. Notice I didn't say perfect. Notice I didn't say make sure you know everything. Just make sure you're healthy. Your relationship with him is good. Not that you have to be a, a Christian on fire, but that your, your faith is good. You're in a constant and in a good relationship, praying, reading God's word, spending time with Jesus, serving others, that your relationship with him is good. This is one of the reasons why I love uh, when new believers uh, begin believing in Jesus. Their relationship with him is so good. I was talking with a friend of mine who just became a, uh, a Christian recently, and um, uh, when they showed up here for worship, I said, oh, it's great to see you. And they said, oh, I wouldn't miss it. This is wonderful. <laughs> that 
new Christians often, it just comes out of them. So the point is it doesn't have to be new, or sorry, it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have all the answers, but that you have a good relationship. thing is, we want to be careful that if we see a non-Christian, that we don't think to ourselves, oh, there's a sinner, and they need uh, to be fixed, or what a loser, or think to ourselves, I never, at the way they talk, or the way that they do things. If you come to mission like that, if you come to mission with disgust and condescension, it's best if you just sit out. Actually, it's better if you go back and get right with Jesus and realize how compassionate he has been in your life. That is, in my mind, the quickest cure for me and for my pride and my condescension of others is to take just a split second to remember what, how I was when God saved me, how I was when Jesus changed my life. As Paul spoke to the church in Rome, while we were sinners, while we were still enemies with God, Christ died for us. Remember that. And I'm able to have compassion again. So we go out, be healthy with Jesus, so that we go out that we're filled with compassion. If you're not going out with compassion, it's best if you don't go out at all. But you go back and you get healthy with him. I don't want to make this too complicated. Like, in terms of going out so we're filled with compassion, just care for people. Just pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to you how to help them. Pray for people. I mean, that's what these prayer cards are about. There are so many times when I've talked with people who are not yet following Jesus and I just text them and say, you know, I was praying for you this morning. How are things going? And the responses and the conversations that come up out of that when we genuinely care for people, God uses that. Not only that, but that we care for them by being a good friend. A good friend who shows up when nobody else does. Who shows up when no one else does and keeps showing up. Speaking of uh, how some of the guys are, uh, Walter and Dave, are going with Jean Ann to Kelowna this next week for her treatment, driving her there. That's a good friend. Or like many of you have been visiting Roxy in hospital. That's a good friend. The nurse was saying to, um, the nurse was saying to them, or to Roxy, uh, they gave her a, a special room or one of the single rooms, you know, saying, like, you have so many people visiting, family and friends. Um, we need to get you as a special room so you have more room. That stands out to people. I think there's a lot of people who are in hospital that nobody comes to visit. That we are good friends. But also that we live kingdom lives. That we live our lives so vibrantly after Jesus that people ask us, how are you so calm through these difficult things? How is it that you have peace in the middle of this? How do you have joy? I know things aren't all easy for you. I know things are difficult for you. How do you have joy? What about your marriage? How, does you, how do you 
And your spouse, how do you guys work it out? It seems like you guys don't fight as much as everyone else. How do you help people so much? You're always helping people. I think that's one of the ways that we live our lives so faithfully that people will see it and ask us why. I just wanted to share this one video. This is um, from a pastor, a former pastor in Colorado. He talks some about how he talks with people. It's been probably 15 years. I don't think I've ever really initiated a conversation unless somebody has already kind of initiated some curiosity with me. Even when you watch Jesus, he didn't really start a whole lot of conversations. It seemed like people actually went after him. And then even when they would ask him a question, he would just sort of deal with it very quickly. And then he would sort of back up. And it seemed like they couldn't keep from continuing to go at him. I found that's the same way in my life. People will ask a question about, um, you know, how come you and Cheryl don't seem to fight that much? And, and then I tell them that we do fight, but, um, but yeah, not as much as we used to. And then they ask, well, how? How do you not fight? And I remember one guy asked me that question. I said, Joe, for me to tell you that, I'd have to be really honest about my relationship with Jesus. And he said, that's why I asked you. And so at that point, then the conversation's supernatural because he's literally asked me to tell him about Jesus. A few months ago, I had a party at my house, and we had uh, a neighbor that was my wife's real estate agent, uh, kind of head broker at her office, and uh, just a lot of friends hanging around. Some of uh, his friends, some folks that were part of our church, uh, just kind of mingling together really well. And uh, Matt came over, and he uh, he just said, "Hey, Barry and I, as his wife, were talking the other night, and and we just talked about how we don't have a whole lot to offer our kids. His kids were." Now, I think six, seven, and eight, and I, they must have been bringing up conversations about God, and he just said, I realized that um, I have nothing to offer them. That, and it actually goes, I, I think I might be spiritually bankrupt. And uh, I said, well, you should work on that. And he said, I'm trying to. And then we just went back to the party, and, uh, and then it was probably four months later, just a few weeks ago, that uh, I actually walked into his real estate office, and uh, he looked a little bit sort of bummed out and I, I said what's up Matt and he, he goes remember that spiritual bankruptcy thing I brought up I said yeah and I said you're like you're not making a lot of headway on that and he, he goes uh, no he goes is there something that you could do to help me figure this out and uh, so yeah so we've been talking now about God pretty naturally I think it was assumed that Christians would live such uh, beautiful lives that people would actually go after them knock on their door um, call them, email them, whatever, uh, to try to get some help with their life. So I just wait till people uh, move towards us, and then I just speak openly and honestly as somebody that's that's just trying to figure it out too. So I'm not the answer man, um, but I am somebody that's trying to follow this real person that really makes a difference in absolutely everything in my life, and so it's easy to talk about that part of Jesus. Watching that clip and thinking about it some, and I've read some of Hugh's stuff, um, this idea that if people aren't asking us about our faith, that we're doing something wrong. I'm trying that on, and I ask you to consider that too. Test that out. If people aren't asking you about your faith, then you're not doing it right. 
I don't know, I don't, I think there's trouble taking that too far, but I am convicted by it myself because I don't get asked a lot. And I'm wondering maybe if I need to love people more, to show up for people more, to bless people more, or in more meaningful ways. What he said there is, you know, he assumed or thought it was assumed that as Christians we'd live such beautiful lives that people would be knocking on our door trying to get time to have coffee with us to figure out how we do it. So I've been thinking about that some. That we, me, that we would love people more remarkably that we'd have compassion and care for people more remarkably in our community, that they would be asking us. So we go healthy with Jesus, filled with compassion, and looking for opportunities to share. This is one place where I am different than you. He made the point of, you know, I don't really start conversations with people. And it's true, I don't, I don't think it's very healthy for us to force things, to sit people down and say, I just got an hour of Bible I want to read with you. Just sit down for a minute and be quiet and listen. I don't think that's going to help anybody. Or especially if we come and we sound like we're self-righteous, like we've got it all figured out, and like we are up here and there down there. That's not going to help anybody. But I do think it's more than Hugh is saying. I think because I can already think of times when Jesus did start conversations with people. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus. Jesus did initiate conversations. But he was always genuine. And so for us to look for opportunities, not to force them when someone says, hey, I've been reading a good book lately, and we say something like, oh, really, I've been reading a good book too. It's called the Bible. You should read it. (laughs) That's maybe a little too forced. But if someone's talking about something great that they've been reading, I think it's totally legitimate to say, yeah, I've been reading this uh, part of Matthew's gospel and listening to how Jesus does this amazing thing. It's been changing my life. Like that is genuine. That is real. That is helpful. I think it's good. If we know that Jesus changes our lives, it's good for us to share this with our friends and with our neighbors, even with strangers that we pick up and we're giving a ride to them into town. Two weeks ago, Deb's story was sitting over there. So it's totally messing me up now, David. You guys are back in your normal spot. Um, But she said, you know, at some point we have to share our faith. You know, because just doing great things, there's a lot of people who do kind things, and she's right. So it's important that we do look for opportunities, but I think it's super important that we begin by caring for people in remarkable ways in remarkable ways that they say, you know, there's something different about you. And that they want to hear us. They say, tell me. And then you say, well, for me to explain why I do this, why I show up to help, or why I care for you when nobody seems, when no one else seems to, I'd have to tell you some about my relationship with Jesus. That we have those conversations that we look for them. I hope you're hearing this morning that as we gather around Jesus, The closer we get to him, the further we want to go on mission. But it doesn't have to be elaborate. You don't have to go to a different country. 
You don't have to start some huge parachurch ministry. We just have to get right with Jesus. We have to be healthy in our relationship with him. The compassion will come, and then we go out with that compassion and share it with others. And look for opportunities to share faith with them. This good news of who Jesus is and, and maybe even what he's done in our lives. I pray that this is how we go out. I pray that this is what we hear this morning as we gather around Jesus.